All right. I pushed the wrong button. All right. Now I think I got the right button. So here we go. All right. Praise the Lord. Great songs. Great time to really reflect upon the love of God in Christ and uh, our dependence on Him. And that's really what it's all about. As we continue in this uh, study through the book of Hebrews, um, I just want to give a little bit of uh, clarification on this title, Christ in the Order of Melchizedek, which comes certainly directly from part of this text today. Uh, But really, we're not going to talk a lot about Melchizedek today, all right, because this is just an introductory introductory part, uh, and and we'll talk a little bit about what that means. But uh, actually, in chapter 7, which we'll get to in a few weeks, uh, we'll get deeper into that whole concept. So just kind of a little, if you want to read ahead, do it, okay? (laughs) There's no limitations to our looking ahead, but uh, as far as what we're going to be talking about in the sermon. But I do want to get to that right away. Um, who is Melchizedek? Because that might be uh, kind of the elephant in the room, okay? So um, he appears in Genesis 14. If you remember when we did the series on Abraham uh, last summer, actually, um, uh, we were talking about, of course, this one section uh, when Melchizedek, uh, the king of Salem, he's called in Genesis 14, uh, he appears after Abraham had been victorious in rescuing his nephew Lot, who had been captured by an incoming army, actually under the uh, leadership of a guy with an interesting name. His name was Kador Laumer, okay? Kador Laumer. And so he attacked uh, there into Sodom. They, uh, they had uh, taken Lot as a prisoner. And so Abraham raised up an army and delivered uh, them from that, that, that army. And so Melchizedek shows up as Abraham is celebrating his victory, and he blesses Abraham. And it's interesting, it's a very short section, and right at the end of that, Abraham blesses Melchizedek by giving him a tenth of all the spoil. Uh, It's a very interesting piece there, certainly about giving. I mean, God has always said that the tenth is the beginning of showing appreciation and gratitude. So Abraham actually recognizes Melchizedek's spiritual superiority, really, in his situation, by giving a tenth of all that he had taken. Now, that's about all I'm going to say about Melchizedek today, except how that relates to Jesus. But uh, just wanted to kind of get that up front, and we'll talk a lot more about him when we get to chapter 7 of Hebrews. But the point is that Christ here is different than the traditional Aaronic priesthood. You know, the priesthood based on Aaron's uh, Moses' brother Aaron being set up as the, uh, the priest, the high priest, and all the high priests that came later come out of his background and uh, comes through that family. But, but Jesus is different than that. You see, Melchizedek was a priest before the Aaronic priesthood was established. He also was an eternal priest, pointing to Christ, the great high priest. So as we read here in Hebrews, uh, we do uh, have the guidance of this writer led by the Holy Spirit, and he's determined that the readers of this letter have complete clarity concerning the significance of Jesus as their high priest. I mean, if you've been following along, you know we've been talking a lot about this whole issue of Jesus as the ultimate high priest. Uh, He began this focus actually in chapter 3, 
So we've spent a lot of time there. He's continued through chapter 4. And last week, as we had that wonderful three verses of chapter 4, it seems to be the conclusion of that. (laughs) But it's not. Okay? Um, By the way, I think I've mentioned this before. uh, The writer of Hebrews, certainly writing to um, Jewish believers, most likely in Rome, um, is, is using what we would call sort of a circular style of teaching. All right? In, in more Asian cultures, that's pretty normal. Okay, we're, we're more of a, a Western culture, logical type of process. All right, but the, the Eastern culture is much more circular. In other words, you, you give the truth, you go around, you come back to it. You keep coming back to it. You keep coming back to it. And we certainly see that here in this teaching. We'll, we'll keep coming back. We'll keep coming back. He's going to take a little pause here in the next chapter, but then I'll come back to this again. And so we find this coming around and around, and he's determined that, that there's clarity uh, among the people as far as who Jesus is, particularly, and as it relates to him being the one and only perfect high priest. Um, so why is this important? Why, why does he keep coming back to this? And is it just important for Jewish Christians in Rome? No, no, this is the word of God. This is for us, okay? This is for us today. So why is it important for us? Well, one, Jesus being the perfect high priest is the determining factor in your eternal destiny. If, if he is not the perfect high priest, if he's not the one, we, we don't have salvation. We, we don't have it taken care of. You cannot enter into the holy presence of God without a qualified representative who stands in your place. Since you are not qualified, and you cannot be qualified on your own. So it's essential. Secondly, we must know that Jesus is the one so that we can live an abundant life of freedom now, realizing God's presence in our lives here on earth. If we're not sure, if we doubt that Jesus is the one, if we doubt that he is the Messiah, we will not find rest, as he has guided in this writing God's rest, we will not be resting in what has been done, but rather will continue to be seeking to find another. This is the plight of the Jewish nation today, not recognizing Christ as Messiah. And third, since Jesus is God and came to earth and became a person like us, but still was fully God as he lived which is what we call the incarnation, and is such a hard truth to grasp. I mean, it's kind of beyond our ability with our limited uh, you know, temporal thinking. It's an eternal perspective. We don't fully get it. So it's important that this be repeated. You know, we don't fully get it. So we need to come, keep coming back to it. A friend of mine who was a teacher in a mission school in Indonesia for several years uh, regularly made this statement as a teacher. And maybe some of you teachers have said it too. Repetition is the key to learning. You ever hear that? All right. Yeah. So we're going to keep repeating. (laughs) Okay. The the, the author of Hebrews is keeping repeating. Okay. Repeating that which is essential. Repeating that which we need to hear. We we need it over and over. Do you ever forget things you heard before? Do you ever forget important things you heard? Yeah. We usually forget the most important things. Yeah. And so we need to have repetition. And so we find that here. So, so let's listen to the Holy Spirit as he repeats this truth to us, these truths to us in, in chapter 5, 
We're going to be reading verses 1 to 10 of Hebrews 5 in the New Living Translation. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for the, all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This passage, again, repeating a lot of things that he's already said, but it gives further clarification as to the role of the high priest, the choosing of the high priest, the qualification of the high priest, and the designation of the high priest. So let's take a look at those four things today. First of all, the role of the high priest in verses 1 to 3. And the first thing that we are told here is that the high priest is a go-between, a mediator. He is the one of the people to go to God on behalf of all. That's what Aaron did. Okay, that's what the Levites did. That's what those who had been appointed to be high priests that went into the Holy of the Holies did. Uh, being one of the people, he is the representative in all of their dealings with God. He's the go-between in presenting gifts, offering sacrifices. And in verse 2, it speaks of a, high of a key quality in this role, and that is dealing gently with weak people. <laughs> I think it's interesting that the writer includes that. I mean, we don't often think about the high priest dealing gently with the people. I don't know about you. I've always thought about just, well, the high priest goes in and says, yeah, we're all sinners. We bring in the sacrifice. We, we make the sacrifice. We put the blood on the altar. That takes care of it. Well, no. God's intention has always been that those who represent him with his people are those that represent him rightly, all right, that, that, that deal gently and carefully with those that he loves. Now, I can tell you that I haven't always done that as a pastor. I've tried. I believe it's a part and calling of my life. But I haven't always been as gentle that I believe that the Lord talks about here. You know, we're, we're all, I mean, the high priest, did he, the, the human high priest failed too. As a matter of fact, it says he has to bring presentation for his own sins. I mean, we all do. All right? I have to deal with that personally. But that doesn't excuse me or any of us, by the way, in the priesthood that we are as believers as how we deal with each other. Jesus is the perfect example, right? <laughs> he is the gentle high priest. There's no one more gentle and loving than Jesus, right? What a beautiful name it is. There's no one like him. There isn't. 
Even those who don't really believe in him would say he was really a kind and gentle person. But those of us who know him, that is what draws us to him, isn't it? His love, his gentleness, his kindness. And so God says, hey, this is the role of those who represent me. This is what I want people to know about me. Okay, and that is to be dealing gently with weak people. Who are weak people? Any weak people here this morning? I got a few of them here. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> yeah, we all are. We don't always recognize it, but we all are. And usually we're trying to act like we're not. Right? Okay, I got this together. <laughs> if anybody really saw inside behind this curtain, right? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz. Right? Okay. All right. So the, the passage uses the terms. It's kind of interesting. The passage is here. It says, ignorant and wayward people. Wow. I mean, we have that example earlier in the text here in uh, the writings of the writer here of Hebrews when he says, don't harden your hearts like the the children of Israel. I mean, we, we see the waywardness of God's people in the Old Testament, and there's a warning to us. We, we see an ignorance there uh, of, of assuming things that are not true uh, about God and not following Him appropriately. And, and so the priest, as one of the people, and knows what it means to wrestle with not knowing everything appropriately and not dealing with things appropriately and being wayward and weak himself is to be understanding. But does not ignore their need, but empathizes completely. And so what does he do about it? And that is he offers sacrifices for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Doing this on a regular basis because he and the people continue to be sinful and fail to meet God's standard of holiness and perfection. And Hebrews will continue to point out the fact that we'll get to later in the, in the text, uh, not today, but later as we get to other chapters, that, that not only is Jesus the perfect high priest, but his sacrifice is once and for all. And that's such a great difference, isn't it? I mean, we find in the Old Testament constantly, constantly sacrificing animals for the blood. I mean, because the blood is the key. God says in Hebrews also that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So, so it's important that that takes place as an illustration of what was demanded but would only be fulfilled in Jesus. And so the high priest is pointing to the need that we have. His role was to represent the people before God, to be caring and understanding of their weakness, and to offer sacrifices. So how does a high priest get to be high priest? Well, the author answers this in verses 4 to 6 in the choosing of the high priest. He says that this is a person called by God. It's not a political position. Although, by the way, as uh, we think about when this was written, um, following the life of Christ, okay, when the book of Hebrews came later, and, and we think about the days of Jesus, the high priest at that time really was a political position. Caiaphas, he got there not necessarily because he was in the line, although he was, but, but basically because it was politically appropriate for him to be in that as far as the relationship with Rome. I mean, thus, that's why the Romans followed the desire of the high priest to have Jesus crucified. There was a connection. There was a political connection going on. Um, it happens. I mean, 
It happens in the best of situations where we think, oh, we're going to appoint the right person for this position because they have the right heart, they're the right person, and then guess what happens? The human culture takes over and politics takes over. You think it happens around us today? Maybe a little bit, huh? All right. All the time. All the time. It's a human condition. <laughs> That's why we need a Messiah. But, but the high priest, the high priest, the one who is truly the high priest is to be chosen by God, called by God. And he says here, no one becomes a high priest by his own choice or desire for the position. Aaron, first high priest, uh, Moses' brother, was called by God. Now, if you follow Aaron's life, uh, certainly there's plenty of situations where you realize he was not perfect. Um, he was the one that encouraged the people while Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, of course, to get all the gold together, and they made a golden calf. Of course, then he denied that he did it. He said, we just kind of threw it in the fire, and it happened. He's a liar. You know, <laughs> I mean, great high priest, right? Just like the rest of us. Okay. Yeah. But he was called by God. Even so, even though he failed, he was God's chosen one for the position. And he was to be a forerunner of what was to come in Christ. And as one chosen by God, um, he points to Jesus, who is the one ultimately chosen by God. And that's what the author is pointing out, that Jesus is chosen by God. His position is not to honor himself. I mean, you read Philippians 2, it's very clear that he left heaven's glory intentionally. He gave up his position to take on human flesh. He gave up his authority, so to speak, even though he still had total authority. But he gave up that role to become like you and me, to identify fully with us. But he did so not because he himself alone did that, but the Godhead chose him to be the one. And uh, his position um, was to come and to be our Savior, of course. He became the submissive son, uh, led, chosen, and loved by the Father. We have here uh, a quote from the Psalms. And notice, uh, oftentimes throughout this book, the writer who is writing to Jewish believers quotes from the Old Testament, particularly from the Psalms. And he quotes a passage here uh, in, in verse 5 that is actually from Psalm 2, verse 7. You are my son, today I have become your father. Jesus, Jesus, a member of the Trinity, right, leaves heaven intentionally to be the son of God on earth, to submit himself to God the Father's wishes. He was equal, but he gave up that position for you and me. Now, that's really beyond my total capacity to understand. I don't know about you. I need to have that repeated to me because it's true, but I don't fully grasp it. I have a limitation in my humanness <laughs> to not get a full grasp of God's wisdom, greatness, love. <laughs> we need it more and more, don't we? It's beyond us. But it's not to the point where we give up. <laughs> we keep coming to it because we need it. All right? We learn more and more. We grow and grow in all of these things. And so he is the chosen priest by God. And he is, as he is in the line of Melchizedek, instead of the line of Aaron, who came and went, he is in the line of Melchizedek, a priest forever, as we have a quote here again from the Psalm, Psalm 110, verse 4, 
you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. His position, as we said, is not in the Aaronic tradition, but his priesthood, like Melchizedek, is one chosen by God, king of Salem, which means king of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace, and he is a priest of God forever. And as we see next, he qualified himself while on earth, demonstrating obedience and submission to God the Father. So we see the qualification of Jesus as the high priest here in verses 7 to 9. The qualification of a person in a position, think about this, the qualification of a person in a particular position is not by their title, but rather by their performance. Do you agree with that? The qualifications of a person is not just by their title, but by their performance. You ever had a boss that had a title that you thought really isn't qualified for this position because they're not doing their job right? Yeah. You ever been that person? I hope not. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, be careful. All right. Do a person in a position that has a title, do they do what is needed and expected? Jesus demonstrated that he is the great high priest by what he has done, by what he did, particularly in his life here on earth. Well, we read here in verse 7, while Jesus was here on earth, this is what he did, all right? While he was on earth, what did he do? Well, first of all, he was dependent on and totally connected with God the Father. Jesus himself said that, right? He said he didn't do anything apart from the will of God. There was nothing that he said, nothing that he did that was not as a result of him being fully committed, fully connected, fully dependent on God the Father. Yeah. He wasn't doing his own thing like Aaron. <laughs> did his own thing. No, he always did the will of God. And we're told here that he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Wow. This certainly statement indicates that this type of prayerful dependence was constant with Jesus. But we see it clearly in the prayer just before his crucifixion on the Mount of Olives. When in great turmoil he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. But I don't think that's the only time he prayed a prayer like that. According to what we read here, it was all the time. God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. God's will was accomplished completely on the cross and by raising Jesus from the dead because Jesus completely depended on the Father, was completely connected with him, and was completely obedient to his will. Now, Jesus did not live an easy life as our high priest. Interesting phrase here that says that he learned obedience through suffering. Now, that does not mean that Jesus was not obedient and then suddenly learned to be obedient. He always was obedient to the Father. But he learned and proved the depth of obedience 
as he lived before us. We saw it. Now, we weren't there, but we have the record of it. And so we see it as we read about it. And so we find in what is recorded that God has made it clear that Jesus always obeyed the Father, but his obedience as a human was proven through his suffering. Through his suffering. What's it say? He learned obedience from the things he suffered. How did Jesus suffer? Lots of ways, right? He was rejected by men. Not everybody liked Jesus, right? He was even rejected by some he chose. He certainly didn't live an easy life in a palace. Matter of fact, he said to some who wanted to follow him, the Son of Man doesn't even have a house to call his own. Just kind of wandered this earth. We know that the greatest element and evidence of his suffering was when he went to the cross, when he was stripped down and beaten to the point of almost death at that point, bleeding and suffering, but then hung on a cross to really die by not being able to breathe. Terrible. But his blood was shed for the purpose of our salvation. And he suffered it all for you and me. I mean, we would have deserved to have been there. But he did it. But we're told in this passage that he learned obedience through his suffering. He kind of says that to us, doesn't he? He says that the way to know him is what? To die to ourselves. Take up our cross daily and follow him. If we did a little survey here this morning and had interviews for all of us to hear, I'm sure that many, many of you would say, I have learned more about Jesus and my depth of walk with him through my difficult times than ever through the times I was just cruising through life. Yeah, we've talked about this so many times. It's so true, isn't it? Now, I, I don't like those. It's not normal. It's, it wouldn't be suffering if it was normal, right? I mean, I mean, in the sense of we like it. It would be something we would like, and that's suffering. But it's suffering. It's difficulty in life. It's, it's all the time. I was just reading um, in, he, in uh, Romans, see if I can find this. I didn't have it written down, but you can look with me if you want. But Romans chapter 8. I'm looking at verses 17 and 18. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now, get this, this is good news too, friends. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. <laughs> Praise God for that. It's not suffering in the sense that that's what's going to lead to more. It's suffering in the sense that we grow closer to him, we find his victory, and we move forward, and we look forward to the ultimate victory when we will be with him without sin anymore. But suffering is a normal 
process that God uses in our lives to make us more like Jesus. So if you're suffering, don't think that you have lost your salvation. If you're suffering, don't think you are farther from what God wants and He's punishing you. Don't think that because He's not. He loves you. And in the midst of your struggle, He's with you. What did we talk about last time when we talked about the fact that Jesus is the one who fully understands all of our testings? so that he is with us to give us victory in the midst of them, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find our mercy and grace that we need to get us through? How are you going to know that he's going to get you through until you're in the process of needing to get through? And so what happens is a result of greater dependence, deeper faith, a life that's humbled but appropriate. A life that points to the glory of God. See what he's done, friends? That's what we say, right? See what he's done in my life? Oh, man, life's been hard. It's just as hard for me as it is for you. But God's with me. And he's helped me. And he's got me through it. Jesus proved the ultimate of that. Because he demonstrated complete submission to God's will. And as a result, what do we see here? through his complete submission and obedience to God, that God qualified him as a perfect high priest. As a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Jesus has done what no one has ever done or could do. And he did it for you and for me. He did it in our place. He is the source of eternal salvation for all who will obey him. Therefore, we've been designated by God. So what does that mean? What does it mean for him to be designated as a high priest? Well, it's important we understand that. The author is saying, hey, listeners, readers, get this. This is important. Get it that Jesus has been designated as the high priest by God. Okay? He didn't choose it himself. He didn't show up and said, I'm the one. Just look at me. He said, I'm from God, and he has demonstrated it's true. And God testified to it several times. We read, of course, on the Mount of Transfiguration. We read at his baptism. This is my son. This is the one. Listen to him. Okay? God has made it clear. We have the word of God that continues to point clearly to Jesus. Hey, friends, God has done his part. <laughs> he has made it clear. That this Jesus is the Savior. This Jesus is the perfect high priest. Not the ones who kept making the sacrifice and failed themselves, but the one who got it done. The only one that could. God doesn't want you to be uncertain about this. <laughs> he wants you to know not only that this is the high priest, but to know him as your high priest. This is the ultimate one that God had in mind from before creation. This is God himself representing us in the heavenly places. And this is Jesus, for Jesus is the only perfect one. There have been no other perfect high priests. Never have, never will be, only Jesus. Only Jesus. 
I heard an amen. I like it. Yeah. Because that's where we need to amen, isn't it? Yeah. He is it, right? He's the only one. All other sin could not offer complete forgiveness. Did you hear that? They could not offer complete forgiveness. They, they offered some substantiary help that God had provided for so that the wrath of God would not be poured out on mankind. All right? But Jesus ultimately bore it all. When he was on the cross, all of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, was laid on him. And that's when the, that God had to look away. Jesus suffered the separation from the Trinity, which we have no concept of the depth of that suffering. That was ultimate suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The perfect one suffered and died for the imperfect ones. That's love. That's ultimate love. No one has loved you like Jesus. No one. He alone is the perfect one. And again, the author comes back to saying he's in the line of Melchizedek. And there's a significance to that in that Jesus is not only priest, but like Melchizedek, he is also king. So when we... Know Christ as our high priest, the one who paid for your salvation. Not only do we celebrate what he has done, but we bow before him because he's one who is God himself and in total authority. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And someday every knee will bow and declare that. And there's coming a time when he will return and he will set up his kingdom, and we will celebrate King Jesus, the one who is not only the perfect priest, but the perfect king. Oh, society has desired a perfect king all the time. You read history, right? We have an election every four years for president of the United States. And every time, we want the perfect one in there, and we think we know who they are, right? And if you're a Democrat, you say, well, it's de got to be a Democrat. And if you're a Republican, oh, it's got to be a Republican. Never been a perfect one yet, even though you voted for him. I told you my first president I voted for was Richard Nixon. That tells you something. Hey, yay, yay, We won't go any further in the political realm. That's scary territory. But anyhow, there are no perfect kings on this earth today. But there was one that walked this earth for 33 years, and he's coming back. And he's going to set up his kingdom. And those who belong to him are going to reign with him. I, can't, I haven't been there. I don't understand fully how that's going to happen. Brian probably does. He taught on Revelation. No, he's taking his head. No, okay. <laughs> but it's going to be something, man. Is going to be what everybody's always yearned for. It's going to be that perfect kingdom. It's going to be Jesus leading. Because he died and he rose again and he will return. Hallelujah.
He is the designated one. Because he is the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. So what is the appropriate response to this Savior? To the one who gave it all for you. This week we uh, had the kids with us all week. Uh, we survived. Last night we were sitting there in the den and saying, boy, isn't it nice and quiet here? <laughs> A lot of you relate to that. I get it, yeah. The most exciting times are when they all show up and then when they all go. Yeah, exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. No, we had a wonderful week. We really did. Just Kids were such a blessing. But anyway, one of the things we did with the grandkids, we, we took them to see this uh, new Pixar movie, uh, Elemental, all right? And um, it was a great movie. I mean, just love the... The whole, the whole thing, it's different. But Ember, one of the fire people, is the daughter. And um, her parents, uh, kind of remember, it reminds me of dealing with Chinese friends who their parents had sacrificed so much for them, and they have a sense of obligation. And so that's pushing her. And so she's wrestling with that, that she doesn't want to offend her parents because they've given so much, but yet she has personal desires and gifts. It's kind of a neat story. I won't tell you the rest because I'll spoil it for you. But, but she said something that's very interesting. It caught me right away when she said it. She said, the only way to repay a sacrifice so great is to sacrifice yourself. Wow. I thought of Romans chapter 12 in a Pixar movie. <laughs> you know what Romans chapter 12 says, verses 1 and 2? Paul writes this, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Certainly praising God together is a wonderful act of worship. And don't we enjoy that when we come together? But the ultimate act of worship to the one who has given all for you is to give your all to him. Your life be a living sacrifice, right? The, the, the ultimate sacrifice has already been made. I, you know, there's a, somebody in the Philippines every year that gets hung on a cross at Easter time. And it's kind of really a weird thing, okay? You don't have to get hung on a cross to be the evidence of your sacrifice. Jesus died for you. Your faith in him is what makes you whole. Your faith in him is what brings total salvation and forgiveness of sin forever, once and done. But what is your response? Are you those who obey him? Because that's the evidence of true faith. It's not obedience that makes us right with God, but it's obedience that proves that we are right with God. When you come to know him as your Savior, he will change you. And as he changes you, by the way, you haven't all been changed completely yet, 
as he's changing you, you will be changed as you obey him. And his spirit will guide you through his word. And our response is to be what Paul says, right? Be a living sacrifice. Now, somebody said the problem with living sacrifices is they keep getting up off the altar. Yeah, right. We keep kind of going our own way. Okay, that means we keep coming back. Remember what we said earlier about repetition? (laughs) We need to keep hearing it so that we keep doing it. And there's another factor. There's the body of believers. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. We have the people of God. And God uses those three things to help us be all that He wants us to be. But we must obey. We must submit. We must give ourselves as a sacrifice. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are ignorant and wayward people. (laughs) We are so weak in ourselves. Daily we fail you, even though we're your children. But thank you that your love has never ended. And that even though we were far from you, that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you for this passage today that reminds us that he is the perfect, eternal priest and king. And that what he has done is sufficient for our salvation. So Lord, what else can we do? except to give ourselves completely. As the hymn writer said, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. So Lord, in this time of silence before you, may each of us examine our hearts and our lives and give ourselves completely to you as living sacrifice that you might be glorified through our lives and that someday even as Paul promised we will know the complete glory of God oh Lord we yearn for that come quickly Lord Jesus amen please stand with us
Amen. That's where our strength is, the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And it's because of Jesus that's true. You don't go alone. He's with you all the way. And He's our peace, isn't He? So may His peace, may His comfort be with you in your suffering, that you might know Him more and more that you would know the glory of God in your life that's greater than anything else that we think is so wonderful, knowing Him, walking with Him. Before you go, if, uh, if you are parenting children and uh, haven't signed up for the night, I'd encourage you to come. Uh, this is not a lecture class. Uh, it's going to be an interaction time. Uh, Betty and I are going to be sharing a few things, but we're also going to be talking to you about maybe some things that you're wanting to talk about. So uh, feel free to come, but also let us know because we're going to have some food after we have the session and we need to make sure we have plenty. So if you're coming and you haven't signed up, let us know. Hey, have a great day. God bless you. It's not raining yet, so enjoy it, okay? To God be God.